Good morning, Gator Nation. Welcome to another episode of the In All Kinds of Weather Forecast, another multi-sport episode of the In All Kinds of Weather Forecast at that. I am your host, Neil Shulman. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at All Kinds Weather and on Facebook and YouTube under the name In All Kinds of Weather. As usual, I am joined by my co-host, Dustin Smith, via his car. So going to get a little driving with Dustin today, as uh, has been, I guess, the usual for the past couple of pods, because this is, as you know, both busy people, this is when we can make our schedules work, but a lot to talk about, so we make it work. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at I-A-K-O-W Dustin, and he also helps run our recruiting handle, so you can follow him there too, at I-A-K-O-W Recruiting. So as Dustin gets his mic set up, quick word about our sponsors slash partners. We are proudly partnered with the Gator Good Foundation, the nonprofit organization that works to send underprivileged Gator fans to the swamp. For those of y'all who might be newer listeners, the Gator Good Foundation collects donations from fans and uses those donations to bring someone to his or her first ever Florida Gator football game in the swamp. We'll pay for flights, for rental cars, for hotels, game tickets, all kinds of gear, uh, food and and we make sure that they have the swamp experience of a lifetime in every sense of that phrase. We are looking for someone to send to the swamp in 2022 for the Missouri game on October 8th. If you believe that you or someone you know is truly worthy of the honor, reach out to us at GatorGoodFoundation at gmail.com. We are also looking for donations, as always, to donate to our cause. Please go to our website, GatorGoodFoundation.com, and click on the Donate button. And while you're on the website, you can also look around and see some of the campaigns you've done in previous years. Second, we're proudly sponsored by Stingray Branding. These folks will put a sting in your marketing and deliver results that will wow your clients. Whether it's web design, logo design, branding, graphic design, social media management, search engine optimization, marketing strategy, or mobile app design, Stingray Branding has you covered. If you or someone you know needs professional help in any of the above, here are two great reasons why you should choose Stingray Branding. One, it is a veteran-owned business. Can't think of a better way to properly thank those who serve our country than by giving the business. And two, it's run by a Florida Gator fan. So not only do they do great work, but they do great work and they're owned by a Florida Gator fan who happens to be a U.S. veteran. To learn more about their services and rates, go to stingraybranding.com. That is stingraybranding.com. With that said, Dustin has his car audio working. Uh, Dustin, good to be back with you again. It, it seems like all we do these days is do stuff when you're in your car, but driving with Dustin, I think, is something that our listeners have gotten used to. So uh, where where are you right now? How are you? And uh how how are you feeling about the Gators right now? I'm good on a, on a personal note. Uh, driving with Dustin's now a little more challenging. I'm not sure what happened, but when I updated my, my phone to the latest Apple update or iPhone update, um, my CarPlay doesn't work anymore. So I'm having to do this the old-fashioned way <laughs> before CarPlay was a thing. So I got, I got my phone Bluetoothed, and I'm – I'm trying my best. Anyhow, so let's talk about Gator Sports. As we say often, we are an everything school, and that means we talk about more than football. So let's talk about uh, tennis, since they're tonight. Uh, Neil, you are our resident tennis expert, so I, I, I know that our tennis team is doing well. 
I'm excited about how they're doing. I'm excited about their prospects and winning a national championship, but there's still a road to get there. Tell us about it. Yeah, well, uh, Gator Tennis, first the women uh, had, a, had a nice season, got to the Sweet 16, beat FSU three straight times. That's always nice to do. Ran into a very, very good North Carolina team in the Sweet 16. Uh, so that, that was the end of their road. But nonetheless, a very strong season. Um, definitely upheld the Gator standard by, by getting to the Sweet 16 of the NCAA tournament. So nice job, ladies. As for the men, uh, Gator men's tennis won the SEC with a perfect 12-0 record. They doubled that with an SEC tournament title, got the number two seed in the NCAA tournament. I thought they probably should have been number one, but TCU did beat them earlier in the year, so TCU is the one. Um, Gators and TCU do kind of appear to be on a collision course in the national championship for a rematch, but obviously a road to get there first like you said virginia still sits right there very tough overall number seven seed florida will play them tonight then florida will probably play assuming they win that they will probably play baylor in a rematch of last year's national title game if it's not baylor it would be tennessee who florida had two battles with they beat them twice this year but both were battles and by no means would that be a guaranteed win for florida so definitely some uh Definitely some some tough battles ahead of them. Uh, they are in the Elite Eight now, but they're, they're in for th for three tough wars, I think, to get to the national championship for the second uh, consecutive year. Uh, and as I said before on the pod, we can't say it really enough. Three of their best players last year in Ben Shelton and Sam Riffis and Duarte Valle all had very realistic options to go play professionally. They all reasonably could have gone pro. They all chose to come back this year because they wanted to win back-to-back -back national championships at Florida. And the only real comparison to that is the 0-4s in basketball uh, a decade and a half or so ago. So this team is chasing something very special. They are on the brink of something special now in the Elite Eight for the fourth straight year, looking for their third Final Four spot in a row. Hopefully there's a lot more to come than just the match against Virginia when you guys listen to this because the Final Four and National Championship are also this weekend. They, they'd have to win three matches in, in four days. But in any case, let's go Gators. Let's get those first serves in. Let's play smart tennis. Don't go for too much if it's not there. Uh, let's just do our thing and let's get that second National Championship in a row and let's make our mark on Gator history. So, yeah, I mean, tennis is, is definitely uh, Florida's best sport right now. We could say gymnastics is probably making a case for second, but tennis winning the national title last year and being one of the favorites to do it again this year, I think, makes them the sport on campus right now. Um, but, you know, Florida is the everything school. We do have a lot of sports to talk about. And the great thing about Florida is that all their sports teams are always competing for that title of, of the sport at Florida in a friendly way, of course, not really in, in an adversarial way. All, all the sports programs do seem to love each other, which is great. But speaking of, of other sports, Gators softball in the NCAA tournament this year, they are in some unusual territory to not be a top eight overall seed they do get the 14 overall seed so they will host a regional uh, they will not host a super regional unless the regional that they are paired with in virginia tech unless the host vt does not win their regional so florida probably going to go on the road for the super regional if they win this regional but first things first we got to talk about winning this regional so dustin uh what, what are you looking for 
out of the Gators this weekend if they're, they're going to win their regional and advance to next weekend? So the big thing I'm looking for is I'm looking forward to, to seeing consistency of pitching. Um, I know that, that we've uh, done a little bit better, but there, it's definitely something to be desired for. Um, also, of course, um, you gotta you got to feel better. Um, I know that some errors have come to bite us in the butt before, and we can't continue to do that. So, uh, Neil, what, what are you thinking about? So I'm looking for more consistency, like you said. Uh, I mean, the NCAA tournament is, is kind of the where law of averages go to die. Basically, you know, any team can get hot. Any team that's been number one all year can get cold and not do what they're supposed to do. But, I mean, for, for a team as inconsistent as Florida, it, it really is, you know, it really is just a crapshoot. I mean, they, they could – I mean, we, we could get the Kendra Falby we got in the first couple of months of the season. Uh, I mean, she had a she had a nice sort of end of the season too. Um, I mean, Cheyenne Lindsay definitely someone I'm looking for at the plate. I mean, the, the walk off homer to, to win the series against LSU was huge. Other times in the year, I mean, she and and everyone at the plate has struggled. Uh, I mean, sometimes Elizabeth Hightower and Natalie Lugo are hitting their spots, and and Riley Trilchek are hitting their spots. Uh, Lexi Delbray too. I mean, I mean, some, sometimes they, they all hit their spots. I mean, one, two, three, four in a row, all four of them can go two or three weeks or so without, uh, you know, m- making too many mistake pitches. And other times there are, there are games and series where none of those four can really get it going. So, I mean, get, get, you know, hit your spots consistently, um, do what you're supposed to do in the field consistently, play smart Florida, uh, Florida should win this regional. I think, I mean, as, as the host, obviously they are the favorites, but uh, I mean, if Florida just plays consistent softball, I think that they'll be okay. Super regional would be a different story, but I think if they just do what they're supposed to do this weekend, I think they'll be okay. All right, Neil. So great news. While you were talking, I got car play to work. So this is going to make our, our communication a lot easier. So I'm very thankful for that. By the way, to add to your point, Kendra's doing awesome. I'm very excited to see her uh, develop and and uh, continue to um, make an impact on the team. And you're right. I, I'm currently not going to pick us to, you know, make the Women's College World Series or, or make a make a, a super deep run, but it's, it's one step at a time. So anything's possible. Um, we've seen women's softball do the unexpected and um with with tim walton and and his leadership i mean anything's possible so neil i know i kind of shared briefly my thoughts on it but i have to know what 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 do you think about florida's prospects at the national championship now that we're doing a little better kendra's shining what do you think about florida's road to the national championship well, uh, first things first, getting Hannah Adams back is fantastic for the Gators. And what I'm about to say is something I'm going to say as carefully as I possibly can, because when you're playing in the NCAA tournament, you're not going to play a bad team. And Canisius is a conference champion. Georgia Tech and Wisconsin are both pretty good power five teams. Georgia Tech especially. Uh, Trisha Awald hitting a good measure over 400 for the year which is ridiculous. Um, and if y'all remember how Amanda Lorenz used to be at Florida, uh, how she used to be an on-base machine, Trisha Awald's like that for Georgia Tech. So she's going to be a big problem. 
And and Kayla Kahn went for Wisconsin is going to be an issue too if we have to face them. She was the Big Ten Player of the Year in 2019. Uh, she took some time off and then came back to the game this year, and and she's just been on a tear. Definitely not someone you want to make a mistake pitch to. But I mean, you know, given that, given the nuance that it's the NCAA tournament and you're, and you're not going to face a bad opponent, I really do think that given the weaknesses and the vulnerabilities that that these girls have in 2022 this was as fortuitous of a road as we could have possibly asked for for florida so to me the top three teams in the country were number one oklahoma clearly in some order two and three arkansas and fsu you can split hairs on which one i think is better they're they're both just tremendous and then to me virginia tech was fourth thankfully the ncaa selection committee disagreed and put vt at third and they put Florida at 14. So for a team outside the top 13, which Florida obviously is at 14, for a team outside that top 13 to dodge FSU, Oklahoma, and Arkansas until the second game of the Women's College World Series is very, very fortunate, meaning the rest of the field has many, many, many chances to upset them so that, that that task does not fall onto Florida's lap. Other teams have more opportunities to do our dirty work for us. We have opportunities to have, I mean, last year it was James Madison, but it, it could be any number of, of regional three or four seeds who maybe aren't super highly touted this year who could just pull an upset on a given day. Maybe it's USF this year um, who could just shock FSU in their regional. Other teams have opportunities to do our dirty work for us, take those big dogs out for us, and make our road a little bit easier. And, I mean, look, VT is no joke. Kaylee Richard is is certainly elite, and she's going to be a problem, and we're going to have to be laser-focused to be able to have success against her. Again, there is no such thing as a bad team in the NCAA tournament. There's no... You know, there's no clear pushover opponent that Florida's going to have to face, and there are there are little you know landmines on those Georgia Tech and Wisconsin teams that I mentioned in uh, Trisha Awalt and Kayla Conway. But I think given all that we've seen from Florida this year, the road is as friendly as it could possibly be. And as an added bonus, as I mentioned earlier, Florida avoids the displeasure of having to face USF, having to face South Florida in a regional. They have one of the best pitchers in the country in Georgina Corrick. Their offense is is a bit, uh, shall we say, struggling. But they have one of the best pitchers in the country in Georgina Corrick. FSU has to face them, not us, which is just an amazing gift that we got. So Florida has to show up to play. You know, it's the NCAA tournament. It's all that good stuff. You got to hit your spots as a pitcher. You got to see the ball well out of a pitcher's hand uh, or to make good contact with it. Can't make errors in the field. Do that kind of stuff. You'll lose to anybody. But given the limitations, this is as nice of a draw as we could have possibly hoped for. So, Neil, I just want to say that I'm in full agreement with you. Um, the 14 seed, uh, I think we definitely got a good shake with that. And we'll see what happens. So I know that uh, we could talk for a while about softball. Of course, we have a lot of sports to discuss. Let's go to move and talk about baseball, the, the other stick ball, of course. And while baseball has been seemingly inconsistent thus far this season, 
um, we do have some positivity to discuss, and that is, of course, our big-time walk-off home run win against FSU. Not only did we defeat our arch-rival, but we also won the series. So, Neil, I know that uh, in, in live time you recounted it wonderfully on your Twitter account a few days ago. But I would love to uh, hear you once again discuss it live and in color on this podcast. Oh, man, that, that, that game took too much time off my life for me to recount and play-by-play play again. But <laughs> it, it's, it, look, it's always great to beat the Knowles. Uh, to paraphrase Jimbo Fisher, we just beat the damn Knowles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have all sorts of different pitches of different players' voices coming in to scream out and enjoy. Um, but, yeah, it's especially great to beat them in walk-off fashion and, and just completely rip their hearts out when everyone thinks the game is going to extra innings because there's been a, a five-inning lull of offense. Uh, I mean, literally no offense, very few base runners even from the fifth inning onward. Uh, for FSU, Jonas Scalero and Davis Ware were dominating for FSU. For Florida, it was Tyler Nesbitt and Blake Purnell and Ryan Slater uh, all doing very good jobs. Converse of that is that the bats just went dead. Uh, I mean, White, White Langford hits two early homers. Florida gets a couple other runs here and there in the first few innings, and the bats just go silent. And for five innings, there's not a peep. And then Florida wins it on the walk-off bomb from Sterling Thompson. And, I mean, if you want to talk about recounting it, we, we can do that in three different ways. The first way is going to be as it was heard on the SEC Network telecast. That's one. Here's here's way to recount the final pitch of the game. Number two. Not a big lead at first. Here's the pitch. Breaking ball drilled. Deep right field. This ball is going to get out of here, and we are going home. Thompson walks it off on a no-doubter. That was Mr. Jeff Cardozo of the Florida Gators radio network calling that. And my personal favorite option number three of recounting that final pitch, the FSU radio announcers. Here it is in all of its silent night glory. That uh, that's probably my favorite. Um, I don't know, Dustin. Dustin, give me your favorite of those three. Which one of those radio calls, or which one of those voice calls, was your favorite? Got to go with Jeff Cardozo. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I mean, just just the excitement. Um, I mean that, but I mean the 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 the, the television audio, and then hearing the the. the ding, on the bat, I mean, I mean, I, I, I probably watched it twelve to twelve or fifteen times. Just the and then it's out of here. <laughs> so great. I mean, that that's a 
that's a baseball memory that that, that I know you and I are gonna are gonna have for for a while. Well, you you being the the, the memory savant, but you know <laughs> my memory is not as good as yours. But I'm gonna remember that for a long time to come. Well, here's something that Gator fans should make sure that they remember. That's the second game against FSU in a row in that stadium in Gainesville, whether you want to call it Florida ballpark or Condren ballpark, whatever. Second game against FSU in a row in Gainesville that Florida's won on a walk-off homer. Last year, it was Kendrick Kalilau. This year, it was Mr. Sterling Thompson. And personally, I got to go with the FSU guy as as my favorite. Um, yeah. <laughs> the, 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 the dead silence. You just you hear the roar of the crowd. I'm playing it one more time. It's it's just too sweet. <laughs> and just the the lack of ability to say anything else about it is just so beautiful. Yeah. And, and and not to mention the the cherry on top of that of the of that walk off cake, the bat flip by Mr. Sterling Thompson just flinging that thing. That, to me, uh, I, if, you, if you're if you a Gator baseball fan, you remember uh, the, the Quincy Neoporte bat flip in 2015 when he hit a walk-off homer. Um, actually, that, that, that game is probably what set Florida's run of dominance into motion it, because since then it's just been all Florida in this series. And we'll get to that in a second. But you remember that Quincy Neoporte just hits the walk-off homer and just – throws his bat and this wasn't a bat flip by Sterling Thompson this was a bat throw like he he threw that thing he launched it and that was just oh the the callback was just so chef's kiss that was just absolutely beautiful yeah Um, Yeah, man very special but so so Sterling Thompson um what what's so impressive to me about that is the fact that in baseball, every game, like every nine innings or so, there's going to be one or two mistake pitches that some pitcher will make to some batter at some point in the game. Nobody has any idea when it's coming. Pitchers don't know because obviously they, they don't try to do it. Hitters don't know when it's coming. The fans certainly don't know. The hitters just have to be ready to take advantage of that mistake pitch if and when it comes to them. And the guy that at Florida that was just so great at that was J.J. Schwartz back in, in the yesteryears from 2015 to 18. He was overall not elite as a hitter. He was a very good hitter, but he was not what I would call an excellent hitter. But every single time he got a mistake pitch, he would just tee off and crush it. Most notably in the Super Regionals against FSU in both 2015 when he hit a bunch of homers and 16 where he hits the grand slam to sort of KO them in, in game three there. And, and against wake in 2017, the supers there, he just had a knack for it. And so often in baseball, a lot of times guys just, they they won't, they won't do that either. They'll be, they'll be taking a pitch. They'll be looking for something else. They'll get under it or they'll, you know, they'll pop it up. They could be looking for some other kind of pitch entirely and miss it because they're guessing and not reacting. They'll foul it straight back or whatever, or they'll get too anxious and just swing too early and hit it a mile, but foul. Not not Sterling Thompson. That pitch came. He was ready. It was almost like uh, if, if, if anyone remembers that, that backyard baseball game as a kid with 
with guys like Pablo Sanchez and Ahmed Khan when you'd get that that perfect pitch with the aluminum power bat and you would just destroy it for like a 600 foot homer or so that that was last night or that that was Tuesday night against FSU Sterling Thompson he had that he had that aluminum power bat literally because that's <laughs> what bats are made of but I mean he he had that power up he had that aluminum power bat he got that perfect pitch and he just unloaded on it and it when you hit that like if you played that game when you got that perfect pitch with that power up bat it was just something so indescribably satisfying about that and for Thompson to do it in real life against your rival in the bottom of the ninth with two outs is just so so great and Dustin uh we we can't talk about this game against FSU without mentioning the final score 7-5 uh which from FSU's perspective would be a loss by the score of 5-7 five and seven those numbers make you think of anything else Oh yeah, Neil. That that's a that's a great number. I love the number five and the number seven. It's a great baseball score. Obviously, very hard for that score that score to happen in football. You know, unless you know you're very, very, very terrible on offense, then your defense uh, forces or a safety, and you also get a field goal. Whatever, five and seven, but. Florida State is the five and seven university. Yeah. <laughs> it's just there's just something so amazing about when sports writes the best poetry for you. And you it's don't, so poetic. Literally poetic. Yeah, you don't have to put any work in the poetry just writes itself and presents itself to you. It's just it's just so great. Um so the last thing before we, we, we move on and talk bigger picture um, and, and then talk about our main feature presentation, uh, recruiting, got to talk about some numbers here with the Florida Gators and the Florida State Seminoles. It talked about the, uh, the, the Quincy Neoporte bat flip sort of triggering a nice run by Florida in the series. But just, just listen to some of these numbers between Florida and FSU. Florida's won 24 of the last 30 games. They've won 19 of the last 23 games. They've won 14 of the last 17 games. Pick any of those intervals. That's ridiculous. That that doesn't happen in in sports except except when Florida plays the Miami Hurricanes in baseball. It happens there too. These numbers aren't normal. It, it's not unusual for a team to rip off you know, four or five, six wins in a row over a rival in baseball, but 14 out of 17, 19 of 23, and 24 of the last 30. And not to mention the fact that Florida hasn't lost a multi-game season series to FSU since 2013. They swept them in 14, 15, they lost the regular season series two games to one, but swept them in the super regionals. So overall season series three to two, 2016, Florida beats them five out of six times, sweeping them in the regular season and beating them two out of three in the supers, 17 sweep, 18 sweep, 19 sweep, 20. There was only the one game. So I said multi-game season series, that doesn't count. 21 they split they only played twice the game in jacksonville got canceled for no reason 
we will leave it at that. And 2022, Florida has now beaten FSU two out of three times. So that is now a full decade since Florida has lost a multi-game season series to FSU in baseball. That is just wild to me. So, Neil, it's certainly exciting that Gator baseball continues to improve and, and uh, that they're, they definitely look like a better team. Obviously, earlier in the season, they were quite inconsistent, and that's why we're looking at the potential of them not hosting a regional. Um, so, Neil, with that being said, since there is something to question about the likelihood of the Florida hosting a regional, what are your thoughts? Will Florida host a regional? And if they do, what seed do you think they'll be and who do you think will be in the regional? Well, I think Florida's still on the outside looking in for a hosting spot. Um, I mean, just to refresh everyone's memory, the top 16 teams host a regional and the top eight seeds host a regional and a super regional. Uh, that, that's gone. The, the top eight seed hopes died a long time ago, but Florida is still in play for one of those nine to 16 seeds. They do have a lot of work to do, though, to get one of those in very little time. And, that, and that's because, like you mentioned, Florida really struggled a bit in the first couple months of the season, which is, I mean, really just a polite way to say that they weren't very good. Uh, I mean, they've come on strong as of late, to their credit. They swept Mississippi State on the road. That was huge for as much as they've struggled. That was huge to go in there and get all three games there. They've won all three of their last series on the weekend. Really, they've won their last four series because FSU was a series, and they, they just won that. But what happens in February and March and April does matter. You, you can't get swept by Georgia and Tennessee. You, you, can't, you just can't do it. You can't lose that Alabama finale the way we did. You can't lose both of those games to Vanderbilt with those late leads. You, you can't lose that Missouri game um, last weekend, that, that, that Saturday game. You just can't do it. Even throwing aside the, the debacles against Seton Hall and Liberty to start the year, you can't lose all 10 of those SEC games that I just outlined. Um, you, you just can't do it. Now, you want to flip two of those 10 results so that in those 10 games, Florida's 2-8 and eight instead of 0-10. Oh well, you do that, and now Florida would be 15-12 and 12 in the SEC instead of 13-14. and 14. Typically, 16 SEC wins is the bare minimum you need to host a regional, and 18 is the bare minimum you need to host a super regional. So even if you just flip two of those 10 results and you have Florida go two and eight in those 10 games I just outlined, they're safe to host a regional and in the conversation to host a super regional if they sweep this weekend. But they didn't do that. So now I think Florida needs to sweep South Carolina to even have a prayer because that would put them at above 500 in the league. They'd be 16 and 14 in the SEC. Maybe if they win two out of three and then make a deep run in the SEC tournament in Hoover, uh, 500 in the SEC, which is what they would be if they go two and one, 500 in the SEC still you know, usually doesn't do it for a host. But then again, Florida does have a series win on the road against the top 10 team at a conference in Miami. They do have another series win over a safe tournament team in FSU. And the SEC is unusually deep this year. So they could be an exception if they were to go two and one against SC this weekend and finish 15 and 15 in the SEC. But at the very least, they have to win two out of three and make a deep run in Hoover. Uh, sweeping South Carolina would be ideal, but 
without those results in hand, I still think Florida is very much on the outside of that bubble and looking in. And you're going to talk about who they would host um, if they were to be in a regional. They, they would be one of the, of the last teams to host it. They will not be one of those uh, 9, 10, 11, or 12, or probably 13 teams. They'll probably be at best 14, more likely 15 or 16. And that's, again, if they just start really dominating these last couple of weeks. And in that case, one of the first teams that I personally think is out of that top 16 would be FSU. I think that there is a if Florida does get that hosting spot, there is a real possibility that FSU would be a regional two seed and have to come to Gainesville because think that they can't go to Miami for a regional because that's the same conference. They could go to Southern Miss, who's also in that like 13, 14, 15, 16 range. And generally the NCAA committee does like to pair high regional two seeds with low regional one seeds. So probably would be either Southern Miss or Florida that FSU goes to. So we're, we're laughing now. We're talking smack about FSU now. Um, I did just post the, the state championship graphic on Twitter and, and social media everywhere. But now that I think about it, there, there's a real chance that we haven't seen the last of them if we continue to play the way we have been. You know, that's a very interesting proposition about potentially playing Florida State. Um, I know that it, you know, it's even been thrown around before. I think you threw it around actually before we had beat Florida State. That they could actually be hosting a regional as the 16 seed, and then we'd be the two seed in that regional. So the fact that we beat Florida State does give us the upper hand. I don't think that unless we just do horribly, that we'd be in the Florida State regional and they'd be playing host. Um, but well, so Dustin, Florida and FSU are both right now on that bubble, on that hosting bubble. Uh, they're, they're both between, I would say, 15 and 20 right now in terms of the, of the overall seedings that the NCAA wants to give. I really think if either team winds up being a host, that Florida and FSU will play again in the postseason. I really do think that whichever of those two teams does not host a regional will travel to the, the school that does host and be the two seed in that regional. Because again, the NCAA likes to pair up teams that just miss hosting a regional with the teams that just barely made it. They like to have some parity in those regions. I mean, think about it like in the NCAA basketball tournament where you have 16 uh, teams in four regionals as opposed to this in baseball and softball where it's four different teams in 16 regionals so you have four you you have to see teams one through four in each regional which means you're going to have one team from one through 16 another team from 17 to 32 another one from 33 to 48 and then the last one from 49 to uh 64 so they like to try to keep the numbers a bit even whereas where the top team will host like say the number one overall seed is gonna be tennessee they'll probably host one of the last two seeds and one of the highest three seeds so that it looks more like a one versus an eight and a nine and a 16 in your regional as opposed to having like a one seed a five seed a nine seed and a 13 seed if that if that makes any sense so because Florida and FSU, I think, are both on that hosting bubble, I'm pretty sure that one of them is going to wind up traveling to face the other one on their home field in the NCAA tournament if either one winds up being a host. 
Neil brilliantly said, um, I mean, bracketology is something that we talk a lot about with basketball, but you're bringing the bracketology prowess to the baseball diamond. So thank you for sharing that information. That's something that I know that our listeners will will uh, certainly relish and enjoy. So, or I believe they've enjoyed it, I should say. Anyhow, the thing that you know I like talking about, um, you ready to talk about recruiting? Hell yeah, let's do it. So, so let, me, let, me just, uh, let me just start from the beginning. Um, Billy Napier and his staff, um, not only on the assistant coaching side of things, but his, uh, his gambit of, of staff members who, who make up the, uh, the recruiting part of the department. And, you know, of course, I, I'm thinking about Katie Turner and the, the rest of the crew. Florida's just doing awesome. There's something different. You know, you, you read the uh, comments from recruits and even comments from current players that are trying to compare the previous staff to this staff. It's night and day. It's night and day, and it's, it's not even close. The buzz that there is with Florida recruiting is something that I haven't heard ever in, in my time following recruiting. In fact, I have to I, – I, I go back to uh, the early days of, of Will Muschamp, who was obviously an awful football coach but a great recruiter. And then you also, especially defensively, and then you go back to even Urban Meyer, who was a great recruiter and a pretty pretty great football coach as well. I have to talk. I, I had a conversation with my dad about what it was like to follow recruiting in 2007, 2008, um, and it feels just like that now. And you know, it could be smoke. We'll find out um, at toward the end of this year. We'll find out. We'll actually find out in the next couple months as some of these big time recruits commit. But as of right now, Florida is in the buzz. The big thing is, can we finish? And right now, we haven't quite gotten the high four stars and the five stars. So the verdict is still out in terms of the ultimate recruiting class. But we do have some wins um, in the intermediary that we can celebrate now that we've kind of gotten through the big picture let's talk about these recent commitments as i mentioned prior quick small wins for the gators in route to what is hopefully a top five class so let's let's start with uh may 7th a little over a week ago and it was a big day indeed for florida recruiting so tell us about it yeah, the big day. I think the day that Florida's 2023 class really got off the ground. They did have two guys committed before that day, but I mean, I, I wrote about this a little bit on the site. I'll touch on it again today on the pod. You got to start everything in terms of building a team with the line of scrimmage. Uh, and maybe you could say you start with the quarterback, but if, if it's not the QB, you got to start with the line of scrimmage. And Florida did that by getting a nice commitment out of. I don't know how to pronounce his name for sure. I think it's Nijay or, or Najay Harris. Uh, Harris is easy. The first name I'm not 
quite sure how to pronounce. So, Mr. Harris, I'm sorry, but I've, I've only seen your name written. Uh, the way that I've heard it pronounced is Najee Harris, not okay. to be confused with the Alabama running back, but uh, okay. that's how I've heard it. Now, okay. now, now, we could all be wrong, and we will probably be corrected. Uh, you know, Hopefully his commitment sticks, and he's signed and is part of the class for real. And um, we get a pronunciation guide on him, but for right. now, yeah, how do you pronounce yeah. it? Nije, Nije. Well, don't, don't, Mr. Harris. Don't, yeah, don't let my lack of uh, awareness on the pronunciation of his name distract uh, you from the fact that I'm very familiar with his film. Uh, I've seen the name written a bunch of times, and I, I've seen more importantly what he can do on the field. And Dustin, I mean, I, I'm looking at the tape right now. I've got it up in front of me, uh, his huddle junior season tape. And this dude is a monster. He is just filthy as a run blocker. First of all, the feet, the feet are really, really impressive. And maybe that's because he's not going up against studs on the defensive line, but he pull blocks like so aggressively. He, he is out of his stance and he is sprinting almost like a running back that doesn't have the ball. But I mean, he moves that quickly from his position, say on the left side of the line over to the right to land a filthy block with through the right side's B or C gap, which is ridiculous. And he's doing that as a junior. He's still got another year um, to go. I mean, he'll, he'll play his senior year in a couple months from now, but I mean, the offer list is also something that's, you know, a validation of the fact that this was a big get for Florida. Uh, I mean, Georgia, Texas A&M, Alabama, you know, all, all, all the payday schools are there. Uh, Auburn, Ohio State, Oklahoma, Oregon, Miami, LSU, Penn State, USC, Notre Dame, Michigan. We can't really call FSU a big-time school anymore, but, you know, they offered him. He, he has offers from everybody except for Clemson, I'm noticing. Every other big-time school offers him, and that's not a mistake. This kid can play, and he can probably play very early on for Florida. So I don't know about a day-one starter, but certainly someone I think can be a depth piece immediately and possibly by the end of his freshman year, and at latest hit by his sophomore year, I think he'll be starting and I think quickly pick it up. And, and by the middle of his sophomore year, he will be a difference maker for Florida's offensive line. Yeah, Neil, definitely. And, and just something to think about, he is a four-star um, I think composite, he's around 89. The big thing to think about, though, is he's an interior offensive lineman. Um, before I get into the numbers, he's from IMG Academy. So think about, think about that. Uh, up until Napier took over, we weren't really getting anybody from I- IMG Academy. Um, but we did get Kamar Wilson. So the fact that Mullen, Mullen actually exactly. was broke it. We do have to give Mullen credit for that. Um, the IMG curse was broken before Napier took over, but yes, it, it, those IMG commitments were not coming to Florida uh, for the most part, for sure. Right. So the fact that we got we got yet another player from IMG, it's a, a staple school in in Bradenton, Florida. The best players in the country are part of that school. So the fact that Florida wasn't really making uh, moves in that in that area was very surprising. So great to get him. Interior offensive linemen don't typically rank very high in a composite because generally speaking, 
the the purpose of the composite, the purpose of the star ranking system, it's more of a they're they're more attempting to predict who the top picks will be in the NFL. So they think that the number one overall five star, they think that in three years that player is going to be the number one overall pick in the NFL draft. That's at least the idea from from my my the time I spent studying how these systems are set up. Now some are different, but a lot of times you don't see interior offensive linemen as five stars. He's one of the top interior offensive linemen in the country. You look at his film, Neil. You, I I couldn't I, I I couldn't say any better. But he is ferocious. He's fierce. He's relentless. He's violent. As a pulling guard, he is violent. He inflicts damage on on whether it's a linebacker, a defensive end. He's it's insane. Okay, I love his tape. I love I, I love his passion. I, I do think that that there's some things from a technique standpoint um, that that he has to grow in as far as hand placement, um, as far as pad level. I think you can improve in those areas a little bit. But what what high school athlete doesn't? I think with Rob Sale, um, I think that I think that he'll he'll be just fine. the 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 big thing that I'm looking for. Uh, from him is that I, I think that with the senior season, I think, I, and in some of the camps that are that are coming up, I think, I think we're going to see him rise. He'll probably end up still being a four star, but I do see him kind of in that that top uh, five to top ten range for interior linemen in the nation. So great, great get, uh, big time snag by. Billy Napier and company. So just a few minutes later, after we got that commitment on the 7th of May, we got Creed Whittemore. Of course, we know him as Trent Whittemore's brother. This guy is an athlete. He plays primarily quarterback in high school, but he's being recruited by Florida to be a wide receiver. Neil, talk to us about Creed and why you're so excited about his commitment to be a Gator. Well, I'm excited because there's an obvious, um, an obvious pipeline built. It's always cool to see brothers come to Florida uh, because their older brothers came. Uh, I mean, maybe, maybe not so much with the Wilson brothers, but I mean, guys like, uh, I know that's a sore subject still with a lot of Gator fans, but I mean, you know, guys like the Hendersons, um, that's always very cool to see, uh, even though they didn't play together. Uh, you know, in baseball, you got the Fabian brothers coming through. Um, basketball, you had um, you had the Murphys and you had, you had the Horfords. So always cool to see that. I think with Whittemore, he, as you said, a receiver, sort of that – I don't even want to call Trent an ex-receiver. He's more of just – He's more of just he's more of just a pure possession receiver that is a security blanket. But I mean, Trent has sure hands. He's a good route runner. He'll you know he'll, he'll bring in the ball when it's thrown to him, regardless of how hard he gets popped. Now, there's not a ton of tape out there on Creed for me to actually see it for myself. So here, I'm just going by what I'm told. He's got strong enough hands to sort of wrestle the ball away. Uh, strong, strong but soft hands where you can you can wrestle the ball away, but 
if the ball is deflected and it's coming at you from four feet away because it just bounced off someone's helmet and is, and is still traveling 40 miles an hour off that deflection in a new direction now, the hands are soft enough but quick enough that he could pull it in and catch it as opposed to tip it back up in the air and you know that's where he gets picked off. But I like that about him. I like the intelligence he runs his routes with. He seems to, he seems to sort of know what defenders are looking for and then does something different, and that's kind of how he gets open as much as he does. So definitely looking forward to see him learn the college game and learn the speed of the SEC. And I think he could be a very good possession receiver for Florida, uh, a very good security blanket the way his brother is. Yeah, Neil, I, I tend to agree. I mean, he, he does appear, um, based on some of the measurables, to be the more athletic of the two. Um, the fact that he plays quarterback is uh, – it's given me some – it's not, of course – I hate to make this comparison, but it is it is uh, not from not from an athletic standpoint, but from a positional standpoint, it's given me somewhat Kadaris Tony vibes. The fact that he's um, coming in as a quarterback, but he's going to obviously play a different position. Um, from a tape standpoint, there's obviously not a ton of tape of him uh, catching the ball. Um, his tape is quarterback so he's throwing the ball pretty good uh but the fact that he's being recruited to play receiver um i mean he's done he's he's camped at florida before at receiver and from from that and and some of the intel i've heard from those that he he's very he is he's good good body control he's he's excellent excellent hands uh very soft hands um and he has great Great, uh, you know, hand-eye coordination in terms of uh, being able to get the ball, and, and um, he he obviously is is excellent with the ball in his hands too. He's a playmaker. Uh, he's athletic, um, and the fact that he's played quarterback it, it tells me that he really has a good understanding um, of the game. And one thing we talk about a lot with the quarterback position is you're not just as a quarterback, you're not just there to know the quarterback position. You have to know every position on the field, both offense and defense. The fact that he's played quarterback, I know, albeit at the high school level, but he definitely has a hand on football and his football IQ has to be through the roof, especially when you look at that transition going from quarterback to wide receiver. So, Neil, like you said, it's incredible that we have yet another Whittemore um, that is going to be part of this team. And I don't, like I said before, I don't want his his star ranking to uh, be a foolery. The big thing to note is, again, his transition from one position to another. Typically, that does not necessarily bode well in terms of star rankings. But, I mean, I, I, I think he's going to fit right in. I think he's going he's gonna to be able to um, play early. Will he start? Uh, probably not, but I do think he'll he'll get some playing time, even as a freshman. The knowledge of the different positions, as you mentioned, that he has because he was a quarterback in high school, is definitely going to help him. Uh, I mean, the, the intelligence overall, period, just something that's going to help him. I think a lot of people who talk to him are, are very impressed with the, with the IQ that he displays, and that's definitely going to come into play. I think when it comes to you know, setting the depth chart for Florida uh, come his freshman year and beyond. Yeah, Neil. 
So, of course, we have one more to talk about. Of course, our most recent commitment, a player that you know I've been extraordinarily excited about, especially since the spring game. And that is, of course, my boy, Bryce Lovett. The massive, and I mean massive, offensive lineman uh, right out of Rockledge, Florida. And, you know, I, I want to hear more of your thoughts on him, but I, I really started getting clued in on him by uh, a photo that I happened to snap uh, at the spring game. And that, of course, uh, did really well on social media. And he even potentially, I can't confirm this, but he even potentially hinted at his ultimate decision on with, with the change of his Instagram profile picture from the picture of himself in his high school jersey to a picture of him at the spring game. Yeah, I mean, he, I, I think he's always liked Florida. I think I think his family, uh, at least, I think at least some people in his family like Florida. I don't know about everyone, but I think some of his family members like Florida. Uh, the offer list with him isn't isn't quite what it is with uh, with Harris. I mean, he's got a couple of nice ones. He's got Arkansas, Kentucky. I mean, both of those teams are above Florida right now in the SEC. Uh, Missouri, they are too, actually. Uh, West Virginia, Louisville, he's got some nice ones there. Doesn't have a ton of the big ones. He doesn't have like the Alabama or AM or Auburn or Georgia yet. Um, but he still has another year to get them. But th- the tape doesn't really match the offer list. Like the, the tape shows, a, I mean, he has different type of offensive lineman, obviously, as a tackle versus the interior lineman that Harris is. But there, there's the same sort of eagerness to just flatten the nearest defender that I see with Harris uh, with, with Lovett. The, the hands are strong. The feet are good. They're not great. I mean, then again, they're not going to show the bad ones on, you know, on, a, on his huddle tape, on his highlight tape. They're not going to show the, the mistakes he makes or the, or the bad technique. Um, so they're only going to show the best. And, and the best I see is, is, is very good footwork, but certainly could use some help from Darnell Stapleton and Rob Sale when he gets to Florida. Uh, Certainly more of a project, I'd say, but another big-time offensive lineman. He is a mountain of a man, literally and figuratively. He is a mountain. And I think if he he gets to Florida and manages the weight a little bit more, um, I guess responsibly is the kind way to put it, I think he could develop into a a very good, maybe – fringe second team all sec offensive tackle and that, that's a pretty good ceiling to have when you're talking about a three-star yeah neil like i said before i'm i'm very excited about him um he has a violent intention in the trenches um he is and i again i i don't want to i don't want to make such a comparison and then and then be way off but he's giving me michael Orr vibes from, no, from come on! Time you can't. Going to, no, you can't. That, that's going to a, Ole Miss. That's a he's big. A, that's a big heap of praise there. <laughs> well, I'm going to say it. You know, if, if I'm wrong, then 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 stick it to me. Um, but the reason why I say that is he's he's raw. Um, I think he does he does have have technique to improve on. Uh, similar to to Najee, uh, I think he has to get better with pad level um 
I think it's hard when you're in high school and you're developing as he fills as he fills out that frame and 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 uh, as he's gained strength. You know, he's a big guy, and sometimes it, high schoolers, for whatever reason, sometimes some of the technique stuff it, it tends to to follow um, over time. It's not something that happens overnight. But what I love about him is the things that you can't coach, the things that the things that are that are that are super important for offensive linemen. That is, of course, size. He has the prototypical size right now for an offensive lineman in the SEC. He's 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 either six six or very close to six six. He's three hundred and thirty pounds. Now he does need to convert more of that, you know, not to be disrespectful, but more of that fat to muscle. That'll happen uh, with with the the Mark Hockey strength and conditioning program, uh, no question. So he does need to do that, but he's already there, and he's he's not even a senior in high school yet. The fact that he still has a senior tape to put together, um, the fact that he has more camps to go to. I think he has a. I think he has a, a possibility to get more offers, um, and I think he has a good chance to be a low four star by the time it's all said and done. Is he? I mean, I'm not going to call him a five star necessarily, but you know, he's the kind of person that the kind of player I should say that I think has a good shot at at, at rising up, um, and I think he's a great. I, let me just say this, Neil. I, I think it's a, it's another excellent eval by Napier and company. So um, the verdict is obviously still out. We'll, we'll see what happens with the senior year and, and of course, his, his time that is to come as a Gator. Yeah, I mean, the, the eval process is something that I think a lot of Gator fans aren't maybe so used to because Napier is a bit more cautious about who he offers as evidenced by the fact that Florida has – Florida only had two commitments as of a week ago with six months before the early signing period and uh, in eight months before the final signing period, only two commitments of the class. So he's more careful, but that means Florida is going to start picking up the commitments later and later on in the cycle that Florida has been putting a lot of work into that Florida has been investing a lot of time in, in vetting, uh, that, that Florida has been a lot more careful with researching. And so I think that that's going to be something that certainly decreases the chances of a kid coming to Florida and then finding out that he's got an attitude problem or he's got a temper or whatever, uh, you know, just sort of the locker room cancers that not naming names, but that Florida had a few of the last couple of years. Oh, sure. Jacob Copeland. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, <clears throat> but if you know what I'm saying, Florida's, I mean, Florida's staff now with Napier is being more careful about who they offer scholarships to. I think with guys like that in mind, and of course they're never going to be perfect. They're never going to, you know, you can't possibly expect them to not miss ever in that department, but certainly I think the approach he's taking is going to cut down on some of that and, and lower the, the chances of that happening for Florida. I would have to agree with you. Um, I think one of the major, and again, this is another big picture thought, but you know me, I love I love my big picture thoughts. With the with the last coaching staff, and I'm not gonna name names, it seemed that we were 
getting guys in and for whatever reason, whether it was due to um, not be not uh, being eligible academically or some off the field issue or you know there there's so many issues that prevented a lot of these big name players from um, amounting to much. I mean, I, I think a great example is the the Chris Steele situation. Oh, you know, God. he was five yeah. star, five star corner. We were all excited about him committing to be a Gator, um, but he ended up not even playing it down as a Florida Gator. So that class looked great or good because it had we had a five star, but that guy didn't even play as a Gator. So the class was highly inflated that that year, and it seemed to be a consistent thing year in and year out that we'd have these highly inflated classes and that we wouldn't quite have the talent on the field um, to uh, to be comparable with the class that we supposedly had from a 247 sports composite standpoint. It's like a watered-down so, version of the old Steve Spurrier quote. How is it that Georgia has all the five-star players, all the great players in recruiting season, but when we play them, we have all the great players, except – Florida didn't really have all those five stars. They just had a couple of them. And then the team uh, sort of went downhill from there, from that that lower starting point. Um, Well, I think that's going to do it for this episode of the In All Kinds of Weather Forecast. If you enjoyed listening to our show, please give us a five-star rating and a nice review. We would definitely appreciate that. Dustin, uh, we we do have a couple of, of nice guests lined up in the near future. They are very, very busy. Both of them, all of them are very, very busy. So cannot say when they're coming on, but definitely some nice stuff to look forward to guest wise. Uh, Gator softball, Gator baseball, Gator tennis are all going to have resolutions to their postseason uh, runs in the near future. So we'll talk about that. And I'm sure we're going to have more basketball and football recruiting to talk about in the coming months as well. So Thank you guys for listening. Go Gators. Uh, Dustin, I don't know if this merits one of your your loud ones, but you know what? No, Harris did. The commitment of Harris and the win over FSU merits it. Go ahead. Take us home. Heck yeah, that 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 walk-off against FSU, I didn't even give my, uh, my recounted analysis on that in terms of what I said when I saw what happened. Go Gators! Woo! That wasn't good enough. <laughs> you can do better than that. You think I can do better than that? You can. Go Gators! No, louder. You can do better. Uh, uh, go Gators! <laughs> He's in a car. He can't really talk right into the mic. We'll, we'll give him a pass on that one. All right, y'all. Just go Gators! Fire.